Hello and welcome to the first Talking Pharmacy podcast of the year. Happy New Year. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and I'm joined by some familiar voices, but in new roles. Yes, we've got some changes to tell you about. I'm delighted to say, first of all, that Arthur Walsh has taken over from Rob as the editor of P3 Pharmacy. Congratulations, Arthur. Are you excited? Thanks very much, Richard. Yeah, very excited. Um, It's been nice over the past few years leading on the news, but it's great to be uh, back working in more long-form content. And and P3 Pharmacy, I've always thought it was a very interesting magazine, and Rob's done such a great job with it. I've been talking to a lot of contributors over the past few weeks and getting a a sense of the the business concerns driving contractors and and some of the creative solutions that that people are offering. So, um, yeah, I'm very excited for for the months to come. Good stuff. Um, and fans of Rob, do not be downhearted. The prof is still with us. And indeed is the newly appointed Director of Policy and External Affairs of a parent company, Communications International Group, which is great news. So uh, congratulations to Rob. And Rob's still going to be joining us on, on all our podcasts, which is fantastic. And uh, finally, Neil. Well, Neil, like me, uh, our careers are going nowhere. And uh, Neil's still the editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. I'm uh, loving every minute of it. Uh, in all seriousness, uh, Neil and ICP have some exciting plans uh, for 2023, as do all the mags, and all will be revealed throughout the course of the year. So why don't we make a start then with our regular feature that we call Good Week, Bad Week. Arthur, let's start with you. Now, there's a big story breaking today on Thursday, the 19th, as we record this podcast. Uh, Something pretty major to get your teeth stuck into as the new P3 editor. Um, Tell us all about it. Yeah, so I'm going to say this is a sad week. Uh, Most of our listeners will probably have heard that Lloyd's has announced that it is pulling out of all its Sainsbury's branches. So that's around 230 pharmacies that are probably going to close we think there's been sort of rumblings over the past couple of weeks that there was going to be a big announcement from Lloyd's and there's been kind of speculation is this going to be the whole business going under but it sort of became became clear yesterday that it's it's the Sainsbury's branches that that are affected um the statement the company released a statement saying that the the move was a response to changing market conditions uh, following a strategic review of the business, uh, presumably by a uh, parent company Aurelius, they're an asset management company who who, who bought it last year. Um, I think what's really uh, unfortunate is that the future of the people in these pharmacies is unclear. Uh, Sainsbury's hasn't indicated whether it plans to maintain the sites as pharmacies once Lloyd's exits the relationship, but you would suspect that they probably won't and that these pharmacies are going to be lost. Uh, and to me, Lloyd's hinted at that in its statement where it says that a recent review of the affected branches confirmed that almost all customers will be a- able to access pharmacy service- services from nearby local alternatives. So clearly kind of you know, setting up their own off-ramp. Um, Lloyd's pharmacy chief executive, uh, chief executive Kevin Burt said the decision wasn't an easy one and they understand that patients and customers uh, will have questions about how the changes are affected and he said he was grateful to all colleagues and staff members for their dedication to patients and customers in their community. Um, it's no secret to anyone, no surprise to anyone that Lloyd's uh, has been in trouble for several years last year in their, in their 21 22 accounts they posted losses of, of losses of 100 million and uh had and also revealed that in in 
in 12 months it had shut a further 70 branches on top of however you know several hundred that that have been closed in the preceding years um so yeah i think it it bodes poorly for lloyds and probably will not do anything to to stop speculation that you know a significant portion of the wider Lloyd's estate is going to be sold off this year, if not, if not the whole thing. So people are very, you know, alert to that. Uh, for some, I mean, for some, I mean, some of these branches have been struggling for a while. So some people will see opportunities to maybe turn turn them around. But really, it does. It has to send a message to government that something is badly wrong with the contract. Um, you know, where PSNC is. Uh, to going to negotiate is in the middle of negotiating a new contract or, or will be soon uh, as, as the five-year contract comes to a close. So this will be strong evidence that, that it would take into those talks, I would presume. Um, so, yeah, I think it's sad. I think uh, particularly for the people who are affected and for what it signals to uh, uh, signals for Lloyd's and for the wider sector, not necessarily because I'm a big believer in, in the, the supermarket pharmacy model, um, there's definitely arguments to be had about that, about whether it's the most kind of effective way to to reach people, and to, and certainly a lot of people think that Sainsbury's will kind of decide that there's easier ways to to make money. So there's with with the space, so there's that to to think about too. Um, I'll just finish by saying that um, Mark Pitt, General Secretary of the of the PDA Union, uh, he's uh, issued quite quite a somber statement. He said there's been lots of disposals of Lloyd's. Uh, branches over recent months but in most cases uh, the pharmacy has changed hands and and then and there haven't been any job losses in in most cases but he says this situation is different and means significant reductions in access to a pharmacy for patients so he um, so yeah so there's kind of definitely strong uh notes of warning in that and um i think yeah we'd all all do well to heed that yeah that's a it, that's a big story isn't it um arthur is there anything from lloyd's about the future of the rest of the group then that they've um released today there's no there's, there's nothing from lloyd's on that um they have been we know they have been selling off a lot of branches in recent months um whether we're going to see a drastically slimmed down Lloyd's Pharmacy or whether just it's going to to cease to be um, has has yet to be determined. I think the company is trying to do as much as it can and quietly, but obviously something like this they 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 can't they can't really get away with that. But I do think they are not wanting to 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 be too public about the difficult decisions that it's making. I'm just going to add something to that. I think that, you know, those supermarket sites that are not owned by the supermarket provider themselves is particularly challenged, I think, because they don't benefit necessarily from any uptick in in self-care. You know, you might walk down an aisle, um, past the pharmacy on one side with all the OTCs on the on the on the um the counter opposite not the counter, the um the shelving opposite. But of course, those sales are going to the supermarket provider through the main tills. So it's a particularly difficult environment to be operating, you know, not only that challenge, but also the whole 100 hour business, you know, the extended hours. And, um, you know, our local pharmacy is, is, is in one of those one of those sites. And um, they've been running short hours for, for weeks, if not months, you know, so you, you could almost see this coming, I think. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I- it's a great point by Robin and Arthur. And I, 
I'd just like to add, really, you know, this, this is not necessarily, I suppose there's two ways you can look at this from an independence point. If you want is, you know, the less multiples in the, in the industry, maybe it's a, it's a good thing for independence. But the other thing is, you know, these uh, Sainsbury's, Lloyd's Pharmacies going, well, these people, are, patients are going to be uh, looking for another source of uh, uh, somewhere else to get their medicines and healthcare advice. So where are they going to go? They're going to go potentially to independence. So it may dramatically increase the pressure um, through the doors of independence, uh, which, as we know at the moment, with uh, many independents at breaking point, that may not be such a great thing. Yeah, thanks, Neil. Um, well, troubled and worrying times for the UK's second largest pharmacy group. Uh, I echo what Arthur said, really thoughts with the staff affected and I hope their futures can be secured and there's there's clarity about the the direction and the future of, of Lloyd's Pharm- Pharmacy um, very soon. Okay uh, well I'll go next then and uh, well another downbeat story I'm afraid it's been a, a very bad week for pharmacy teams um, and their mental health. Now this is from the RPS and Pharmacist Support's latest workforce wellbeing survey, which uh, looked at the year 2022 and which we reported on last week. Uh, Difficult to know where to start with this one. It paints a very alarming, uh, worrying picture. Pharmacy teams under such immense uh, financial and workforce pressure at the moment. I, I suppose the headline finding was, well, it was scarcely believable when you read it. Um, at first sight, 96% of those working in community pharmacy, 96% felt at high risk of burnout uh, compared to 80% of those working in other pharmacy sectors. Nearly all of those working in community pharmacy, in other words, at high risk of burnout. I mean, let that sink in for a moment. It's a incredibly frightening stat. Ah, the survey revealed, well, there were lots of other concerning findings. 73% of respondents considering leaving their role or, or the profession, nearly half experiencing physical or verbal abuse in, in the last six months. Um, lots of things like that. We covered the story in, in depth in the magazines and are continuing to do so. So I won't go uh, into all the detail now. You can, you can read about it elsewhere. Um, the RPS and the pharmacists and pharmacist support repeat their call for better pharmacy working environments that support well-being, appropriate rest breaks, investment in training and skills development, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now, you know, as we all know, there are lots of external factors at play here that, that create this rather bleak picture. And some might argue that, well, these are these are all beyond pharmacy's control. We can't do anything about them as a sector, as a professional as individuals, whatever. Um, I disagree, and that's why research such as this is so important. There's a clear message to governments here that needs to be stated and restated that investing in pharmacies and the mental health and well-being of pharmacy teams is better for pharmacy, obviously, uh, but it's better for patients too. And the consequences of not doing this, well, we're we're seeing that with events at Lloyd's Pharmacy and elsewhere. Um, This means... As a priority, we need proper workforce planning and long-term investment that tackles issues such as skill mix, adequate staffing levels, rest breaks, protected learning time, etc. The principal causes of of our rocketing stress levels and and burnout and career dissatisfaction in pharmacy. Um, Employers have a responsibility here too, of course, absolutely, to create better working conditions and more rewarding career pathways. But all in all, it's it's pretty grim reading, but it is important that the message gets out there and there's some useful uh, 
trend data building here as well. So well done, RPS and pharmacist support. Uh, uh, good work, important work, but a very bad week for the mental well-being of a stressed out and burnt out pharmacy workforce. Okay, uh, Rob, let's come to you. What have, what have you got for us? Uh, thanks, Richard. So, yes, um, in amongst all of the gloom, and actually since January the 1st, looking back through the stories that, that have been run, the news has been unremittingly grim, it seems to me. Um, I'm going to go back a little bit just to highlight something that I think shouldn't be lost in all of the concerns. So I'm going to go back to the December the 23rd. We haven't had a had one of these since since then. Um, to the NHS priorities and operational planning guidance for 2023-24. Um, so, Richard, at the start of this, you you highlighted some changes uh, to us all here, but so some things change, but other things don't. I'm still interested in the wider context, and that's why I think the planning guidance, which has snuck out immediately before Christmas, so might have been missed, is interesting this year, and something that. Uh, those responsible for having conversations with the NHS, both nationally and at a more local level, need to have in the back of their minds. Um, so I'll just pick two or three things out here. I'm going to pick out some words that I think um, pharmacy needs to find uh, find ways of using the, the same sort of language because it's these are the things that are going to be um, occupying the NHS for the next year. Um, first of all, it's worthy of note, I think, that... Um, Farm, community pharmacy actually appears in the priorities and planning guidance. I can't remember the last time this did actually happen. But in the primary care section, it talks about, as well as talking about ensuring people can more easily contact their GP practice. It doesn't really say what that means. But it then says, uh, transfer lower acuity care away from both general practice and NHS 111 by increasing pharmacy participation in the community pharmacy's consultation service. Um so straight away, there's a there's a debate to be had there. Now, I know that we've had stories um, this year already about some concerns about how that service is operating. But I think, it, again, it it just shows that the there is an opportunity there, I think, for conversations to start about the appropriate and effective use of community pharmacies. Um but outside of the, the kind of national environment in which those discussions are being had. Um, so that's the first thing to note. Second thing, I think, is that there is um, there's a lot in there about patient flow and about the, the, the specific concerns within the NHS of uh, bed occupancy, ambulance handover and A&E waiting time targets all being very challenging. But I think the key point that should occupy pharmacies' thoughts is that it says it's vital that primary care is a strategic planning partner within systems to meet objectives set out in this guidance. So again, I think there is a there is an opportunity there that should come up across the course of the next 12 months to set conversations about the effective use of pharmacy within the wider context of what the NHS itself is trying to achieve. Through this, through this guidance, um, which interestingly this year is half the size of the guidance normally. I think that reflects the, the challenging circumstances in which the whole system is set. There's a sort of reminder there that um, the pharmacy budget is being fully delegated by April 2023. I think we're still none the wise as to what exactly that means. 
But then other things that I think uh, should appear in increasingly in the way that pharmacy talks about its challenges is um, uh, words like outcomes. Um, the This guidance is much less prescriptive on how you achieve outcomes in its direct directions to the local leadership. So um, local leaders, in theory, should have more flexible options for delivering on their local priorities. There's no reason why sensible conversations with um, community pharmacy leaders locally shouldn't be part of all of that. Um, it restates, uh, as it always does, that the, the importance of prevention, the effective management of long-term conditions. So those are areas, again, where we know that pharmacy can play, uh, play a part in that. Uh, and also, I think um, there is a restatement of a commitment to publishing a long-term workforce plan. There is absolutely no reason why the pharmacy workforce shouldn't be a fundamental part of that. Uh, and I think uh, all of these things really are things that should be part and parcel of the way that community pharmacy at all levels um, talks back to the NHS and to the system generally about um, how... Uh, different parts of the system can support, better support the community pharmacy um, sector. Uh, it doesn't all have to come through the national system. And in, I mean, what, one of the things that this, this whole document stresses to me over and over and over again is that we are increasingly moving to a locally managed system um, and we shouldn't forget that. Uh, yeah, thanks, Rob. For kind of reminding us about that, really, it kind of got lost, didn't it, in the the, the pre Christmas rush? But yeah, very important document this uh, this planning guidance. And as you say, it's uh, it's reassuring to see that pharmacy uh, is in it. Uh, and I think you do begin begin to get a, a much clearer sense of where pharmacy will sit uh, now in the wider NHS con uh, context. Like you say, Rob, very important pointers there about access. Uh, prevention, long-term conditions. I think the uh, the Health Select Committee is is going to be launching a an inquiry on prevention. So we, obviously pharmacy will feature very, well, hopefully pharmacy will feature very strongly within that. Um, so uh, yeah, that's uh, that's good to, to bring that to our attention again. Thanks, Rob. All right, finally, uh, Neil, uh, good week or bad week? It's been a good week. Uh... Richard for Shilpa Shah, who's the chief executive, uh, I'm sure our listeners will know, of North East London LPC. Um, now, I know there's been a lot written about the additional roles reimbursement scheme, <clears throat> um, particularly over the last few months. I've seen quite a bit written about it. And um, she, I interviewed her um, a few weeks ago, and uh, she's brilliant. I mean, I, I <laughs> really enjoyed the interview with Shilpa. Uh, great personality. It's uh, got a good sense of humour. Yes, we were talking about very serious subjects, but um, certainly someone I can see who, who would be able to, um, you know, charm and, uh, and 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 find ways to sort of uh, get into the integrated care systems and you know, that whole thing about engaging and, and, and getting your foot in the door. And, and she she's brilliant, and I really enjoyed talking to her. Um, the interview the interview flew by, um, and she, I could I could have picked out lots of things from from. Uh, our chat but this this one thing stood out and um she had quite a few things to say about the ARRS um which was introduced by the government four years ago to improve patient access to general practice in England now she said uh, that it should be <coughs> um expanded to alleviate pressures in community pharmacy and why not uh seems logical to me and uh, you, you do wonder why 
why it's so geared towards general. Well, we know why it's geared towards general practice, I guess, don't we? But uh, um, now she said that the you know pharmacy should benefit from the scheme just as much as surgeries do by allowing pharmacists recruited through it to split their time between working in general practice and a community pharmacy. Um, now, pharmacy leaders have been concerned for some time, as we all have, uh, about the, the workforce crisis in in, in in community pharmacy. And I, I, I think, and maybe I'm interesting to hear what you guys think, this scheme, this ARRS scheme, has done little to alleviate those concerns. Um, now, she said that she understood why pharmacies decide to work, pharmacists decide to work in surgeries. Uh, it's less stressful than community pharmacy. It's a nice, cosier working environment. I think we get that. Um, but she insisted that the scheme could actually take strain off pharmacies uh, if it was wired and beyond general practice. And this is what she said. She said that people who work um, in, community, in community pharmacy post-COVID are really stressed, burnt out, and it feels as though the grass is greener if you can work in a surgery 9 to 5.30 Monday to Friday. It's a less stressful role. You're not seeing 15 patients over 10 minutes. You're seeing 15 patients over three or four hours, and that's a, a big difference. My solution is, if these, um, in terms of the ARRS, uh, there should be a real clear, you do three days in the surgery and two days in community pharmacy, neighbouring that surgery, for example. Wouldn't the vision be amazing if it was, you do all day, that you do you do a day in the surgery and a day in an opticians, a day in a dental surgery and a day in community pharmacy. So she's expanding. She's What she's saying is, you know, let's have this scheme expanded, more utilised much better than it, than it currently is. It's all geared towards general practice. Let's have, let's have pharmacists working a bit there, a bit there, and a bit there, but particularly the community pharmacy bit. Um, now, I, I, I couldn't agree more with her. Um, I, 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 I said it'd be interesting to see what you guys think, but I, I think that would be, it's common sense to me. Uh, you know, if the government cares about the workforce um, situation in community pharmacy, probably it doesn't, um, then it, it would surely be looking to sort of expand and amend this, this scheme. Uh, there's so much potential there. To, to, to do just that. Um, the other thing Shilpa said, which struck me, and I, and I found it quite interesting, was that she said the scheme would also, could also, if it's handled the right way, improve general practice's understanding of how its actions, things that are carried out in general practice, things that they do, impact community pharmacies, such as inappropriate referrals through the GPCPCS. Uh, and this is what Shilpa said. She said it would basically help GP surgeries have their person but that person, if they did three days in a surgery and two days in community, would see the impact of some of the drug changes they make, and it would see how it would, it, it, they would see how that affects community pharmacy. They would also see what happens when you send out a GP CPCS referral that's inappropriate. So they could use those skills to take back to the surgery to say, "I, I was working in a pharmacy the other day, and someone sent through this CPCS referral. It's definitely something more serious," and they would be able to retrain that person. And I think that's absolutely right. Um, it, I think the government of NHS England have really, really missed a trick with this, uh, with, with the scheme. Um, now, NHS England, obviously, we, we, we approached NHS England. They've, they were quite defensive about it, as you might expect. And they, they did say to us that ARRS roles do work across primary care locations, not only GP surgeries, because those PCN areas cover populations of thirty to 50,000 people. Um, but this is the other great thing about Shilpa. She, being such a forward-thinking, um, innovative uh, leader, in our in our industry uh, she said that she would talk to the chief pharmaceutical officer david webb um, about running a pilot on her patch northeast london in which individuals from the different healthcare professions who were recruited into these into the arrs spend half their time working in community pharmacy so why not what a great idea that is 
Um, and she's, this is what she said. She said, I'd like to see community pharmacy funded for ARRS roles. But failing this, I think all appointments from t- April 20, this year, April 2023, for an ARRS role should involve that person spending 50% of their time in community pharmacy, which after all is part of primary care. And what a great idea. And I hope that uh, I'm sure, having spoken to Shilpun, I know she's a very determined uh, person. I'm sure she'll uh, she'll be going to David Webb and asking him to, um, to, to what he thinks about this and, and let's get this pilot. She's, de- she's determined to get this pilot going on her patch. And, and, I, and I wish all the success in that. We did. We asked NHS England if they were open to the idea of, of uh, Shilpun's um, pilot and they didn't predictably respond to that question. Um, but uh, good week for Shilpa Shah. Uh, some great ideas on how to better utilise the ARRS. Yeah, good. Yeah, good week for Shilpa. Well, we knowing Shilpa as we all do, uh, I'm sure she will get this up and running on on her part. Some some great um, innovative thinking there. I wouldn't disagree with anything that you've just said there from from Shilpa Neil um, Arthur. What did you make of that? Yeah, no, I think she's bang on. It's just, um, it's just common sense, as you say. Like, I think over the past few years, we've had people like uh, the CCA and Community Pharmacy Scotland come out with statements, you know, this poaching of pharmacists to primary care needs to stop, which I think strikes exactly the wrong tone. It is, it, it makes you look petty and it just completely misses the fact that these pharmacists are people who have agency, who have made a choice. Whereas Shilpa's approach is just, well, this is, it's just practical. It's like, this is the landscape we're dealing with. Let us get involved with it. And I can see it um, opening up those, those channels, as Neil mentioned, kind of between, uh, we, I mean, we talk about this a lot with, um, about opening up kind of the relationship and communication between general practice and community pharmacy. But I think kind of, both kind of uh, both sectors having equitable access to the scheme could only be a good thing. Rob, you've done some writing on this on P three last year, and I think you also talked to Shilpa. Um, I guess you'd you'd agree with everything that's been said so far. Ninety eight percent of it, Richard. I'm not sure. Uh, we sh- we could we would we can get away with saying it's less stressed inside general practice for pharmacists. I think it's different stress. Um, but you know, the point that Neil's making is I think that, you know, this opportunity, there is an opportunity for having uh, a genuine portfolio type approach to these roles. And, uh, frankly, you know, I, but I agree with everything else that he said. And I think, um, it, it's great to see big, bold ideas like this. And rather than asking the question, you know, why I think the, the, um, the NHS should be asked, why not? Uh, why not do these kind of things? Why not test big, bold ideas like this? Because they're really, um, you know, they're, they're really different. And I think if, if local leaders are looking for different and different ways of doing things, they need to do this. I, I just add a couple of other things. I think it plays quite nicely alongside the, he- the tackling health inequalities agenda, because we know where community pharmacies are based. Um, in all sorts of uh, different neighbourhoods, they offer a a great location for some of these, uh, for some challenging conversations to be had. I think actually NHS Scotland tried a bit of this, you know, in the early days of the pandemic, didn't they? I actually directed pharmacists who were working in analogous roles in Scotland into community pharmacies to uh, mm-hmm. to to deliver services um, around those sort of times. And I think there's another there's another thing that I like Neil's point also about 
building understanding of the different pressures in different parts of the system. And I'd, I'd add to the list of things that he cited um, a greater understanding of what really happens when you pursue the old branded generics idea. And, you know, it's so cheaper. Well, is it really ultimately when you round all these things up? So I think there's there's a huge amount of merit in this. And, and again, like Neil, I think Shilpa's uh, full of bright ideas. And this is one that definitely deserves full consideration. Well, that's a very positive way to end this edition of the podcast. Great discussion. We keep a close eye on how Shilpa gets on with all of that in North East London. So my thanks to Arthur, Rob and Neil. This is, uh, as we said, our first Talking Pharmacy podcast of the year with all the editors. But I'd like to direct you to a whole series of new themed podcasts that are on the Pharmacy Magazine website, pharmacymagazine.co. UK. There's a, a category inside pod from Monica and Millie of Training Matters for pharmacy support teams. This one's on nasal health. And there's a special podcast marking 10 years of the recognition of excellence awards. We have a themed podcast from Pharmacy Magazine on the Pontipi switch of Gina in association with Novo Nordisk. And a new special going up next week on safeguarding the mental wellness and boosting resilience of pharmacy teams. This one in association with Halion. Look out for that. But that's it from us for another week. We'll be back soon. Until then, thanks very much for listening.